So the big question is this, are you tired of the hustle and grind of fix and flip? Do you really think you can wholesale your way to success? What you really want is a cash flowing portfolio that lets you live a life of freedom, sunsets and palm trees on your terms. But what if you're stuck because you have no capital, no time and no idea where to start? That ends now. Your host, Corey Peterson, is a rags to riches real estate millionaire who started out with no money or credit and quickly grew a portfolio of cash flowing apartments. Not to mention, he did it all with other people's money. You're only one deal away from creating the cash flow life and the Multifamily Legacy Podcast will show you how. So now, here's your host, the big kahuna, Corey Peterson. Hey everybody, welcome to the Multifamily Legacy Podcast. I'm so excited because I've got a great guest here today, Mike Slotnick. We call him Big Mike the Russian. And um, he has a, like, a vast knowledge of what I call raising private money, raising OPM. And um, he's done an amazing job with it. So he's a good friend of mine. I've known him for, gosh, we've been in Collective Genius, what now, four years? Mike? Yeah, over four years, I think. Yeah, I think I've been in four. You've been in it longer. Um, Probably so five. Just, yeah. We've had a good time together, and um, you know, I've watched you kind of like just do amazing things on the capital side. And you know, in our party era, what we talk about is really that ability to aggregate capital is what makes things good for for us, right? Is be able to raise capital. So. Let's uh, dive right into it. And Mike, uh, tell, tell our audience a little bit about yourself and who you are and kind of your story. Corey, thank you for having me on your podcast. I appreciate the opportunity. My story is really simple. I start my, started my career in software development. I spent 15 years in software. And uh, I finished my career in 2009. And I, I started as a full-time fund manager then. And uh, I gave up on IT it's a matter of choice. It's a matter of lifestyle. But I've been a real estate investor since year 2000. I bought apartments in New York City, houses. And in 2009, my good friend, who is actually in software and been in software for many years, started our original fund and he asked me to invest in it. And I did. And he said, well, I still have my day job. Won't you go run it? <laughs> so, so I started running the first fund in 2009. And we've done, uh, now we have we're in the fourth fund, and um, the original capital was mostly deployed on hard money loans. So our core business, and still core business, is uh, financing of fix and flip projects, provide bridge capital, bridge loans, and whatnot. Uh, but our flagship fund uh, has been investing in uh, equity of many deals, both debt and equity, and we've done a few multifamily investments, and we love that space. It's a great space. So that's my story. So. Hold on, I gotta back up because I don't think people just maybe heard what you said. This is your fourth fund, right? Yeah, and um, that's, that's a pretty big accomplishment because most people would don't even know even how to start a fund and what that process is. But it takes a lot of work just to get one set up. Uh, and then that's one thing setting up the fund, Mike. Can you talk about how you got the capital into the fund? Right. So the fund is a vehicle. Like you have your car, it's a vehicle, and this is a financial vehicle. So it's a structure that you set up. Most of our funds, or all of our funds, are 506 funds. It's a Reg D funds. 
and few of them are election B and few of them election C. This mumbo-jumbo, all it means is that uh, C means you can advertise these funds, B, you cannot advertise openly. And you have to file a Form D with Security and Exchange Commission and uh, as an unregistered security, and you also have to file with each individual state. So you set up a vehicle, your attorney sets it up, you have offering memorandum known as a private placement memorandum, and you have a, typically a term sheet, summary sheets of marketing materials, and with that, you can start raising capital. It's a pooled investment vehicle. It's back to the word vehicle. All it means is you have many investors who put their money into the fund, and the fund makes investments and pulls their money into various investments. And the private place memorandum describes what people can, what you as a fund manager can invest in. Rules to the game, right? That's the rules of the game. How do you raise capital? Well, you start with friends and family. That's the number one step. This is basically. I love that you just said that because that's what I preach, right? And I, I swear, everybody's like, wait a second, my friends and family. And I go, yeah, that's where you start, man. You can't beat that. And people say, well, my friends and family are not wealthy. They don't have a lot of money. You start with them, right? Somebody will put in 50000 Somebody will put in 25000 Somebody will put in whatever they've got. And you make a decision what's the minimum investment in the fund. And as a fund manager, you could take small investments as an exception, even if you have a minimum that's higher. Right. Uh, and not only you go to them, you ask them for their referral. You go through your network. You basically ask who, who they know who might have some capital to invest. And uh, many of them might have old retirement accounts that are sitting and doing nothing or they have been in the stock market. And now there's a lot of volatility. From a timing perspective, you approach them and say, listen, if you could roll over your funds into a self-directed IRA account and invest into my project, multifamily wonderful project here, you can get a better return than a stock market with higher predictability and lower volatility. So you just start with friends and family. Then what you do is you have to establish a network and you have to build relationships. The way I raise capital, I go to a lot of masterminds, not just, we, we go to a number of them together, not just to collect your genius. But masterminds are a great place to meet uh, folks. And there are masterminds where you, you find other investors. You build a relationship with them. You're never raising money for the sake of money. Never. The first step is you are trying to have people know you, like you, and trust you. That's where the starting point is. If they know you, like you, and trust you, they will invest money with you, or likely they will invest money with you. Uh, if they don't know you, you could put an ad on a Wall Street Journal, and nobody will invest with you because you have no track record, you have no reputation, you're nobody. Uh, it's easier to raise money when you have relationships, obviously existing where you have track record for us it's easier to move to the next fund because we have a track record because we have experience how to do it we have relationships but when you're starting it's not easy the other thing you could do uh, when you're raising capital you could find a partner so one of the new funds we're actually launching you you you, you know i mean i'm going to mention this but i have a part new partner in the new fund <laughs> right he actually approached me uh and you know he's another cg guy he said listen I, I don't know how to run a fund on the back end, but I can raise money. You set up the back end, I'll raise money, we'll go this way. So that's, that's another opportunity. You could basically uh, partner with somebody who has the ability to raise capital. If you have a good structure, if you, get, you have a good marketing business, you know how to find quality deals, then you can partner with people who can raise capital. That's your other right, opportunity. Perfect. So let's, let me just break this down, what you just said. I want everybody to make sure they get it because... You said a couple of different things. And first of all, you said 
raising money is all about relationships. And I couldn't agree more because it really is raising private money. I feel like it's done one-on-one for the most part, right? It's about people that you got to know them like you trust you. And in the beginning, when you're raising capital, sometimes it's a little harder. But as you start building a track record, it gets a lot easier. And then one of the things that you just said, the last part is if you don't have a track record, but you know lots of people, sometimes you can borrow somebody else's track record. In other words, you just said you had a partner that came in. He was really good with raising money. So the second thing you kind of brought up was if you don't have credibility, you can borrow a partner's credibility. And I think that is exactly, I think a lot of times, a lot of times we only have a certain piece of the pie. And the great thing about that PPM, what it allows you to do is to bring in all the other pieces that can fit the whole total package, right? That's right. That's right. you can borrow someone else's credibility. It's that easy. And, um, and that's effective what your partner just did. He didn't know all the back end and how to kind of set everything up and make it work, but you did. And he, was, he, did with, uh, he had lots of people that he knew that had probably had money, and it's an easy segue. That's exactly the case. He said, you know how to run funds? You have a track record with funds. You set up the vehicle, you set up all the back end. I, I know how to schmooze. That's all the guy knows. He's really good. I, I can tell you who he is, uh, but not on the podcast. And um, he's really good, and he decided to do it. And we, we have a new fund set up. We're launching shortly, and uh, he's good at capital raising. I'm good at back end. That's awesome. So uh, the other thing I wanted to say in this, uh, not only you could borrow other people's credibility and their relationships, it's often easier to do it with partners. If you think you're a big shot, great if you could do everything on your own. But when you start, it's a lot of heavy lifting. If you have some good partners, uh, the expression is be careful who you partner with. But if you get good partners and they, you complement each other, you could move mountains because you're helping each other and you, you have complementary energy and strengths. Exactly. One plus one doesn't always equal two. It can equal five or seven because the momentum that you build is so much more than you could do it all yourself. And I, I'm glad you brought that up because, man, most people, they have this, I got to do it all myself. Me, 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 I, I, I. And what happens is they just don't get it done, right? And the value of that partnership, man, it really does helps, I think, helps move things faster. It can. It can go both ways. You could get, wind up with a partner who's doing absolutely nothing and you're doing yeah, one the wrong one. Yeah, yeah but... If you structure the business in a way that, and you again, don't partner with, with a stranger from the street. You, you need to have good relationship, yes. have knowledge and experience working with a person, believe that you can do well with that person, and then you, you start and you can define your rules of engagement, what happens if you know which partner performs and doesn't perform. Uh, the other idea, the other basic idea, how do you raise capital? And you are in the multifamily space. Multifamily space is uniquely well-suited for syndication. So deal syndication is probably, especially medium-sized deals are very commonly syndicated. Even big deals are very commonly syndicated. So we've actually done investments in in syndicated projects and we feel very strongly about our investors. So as a fund manager, my job is to find high quality syndication projects with the right sponsors and we invest in them because we like, you know, we do our due diligence, but say we like the project, we like financials, we like the target return, we like the preferred return, we like the split, and then we like the project sponsor and their history and the opportunity uh, that they present. 
So there are, let's put it this way, there are money out there who is looking for deals, but instead of looking for one investor for one deal, you should be open to bring a few investors and, and syndication could be done simply. You, you could put together a private place memorandum, an offering memorandum. Yep. That, that, that's effectively your syndication vehicle and you're just marketing the product to investors. Hopefully you have strong relationship with investors. So when you have it ready, they, they, they are ready to receive what you have to sell per se. Yeah. And I think it's actually e easier because now what, what Mike is doing is what's called more of a blind pool. In other words, he's not saying here's a specific property, a specific deal. He's saying we invest in X, Y, and Z. This is kind of our box, the bigger box. And usually when I'm teaching people how to raise uh, capital, it's still done through the same PPM, 506B or C filing. But we say we do it property specific, right? right. And so... Um, you know, it, it, in a way, you know, they're like, hey, here's the building. Here's the one deal. In my mind, it's a little bit simpler. But again, like what you just said, it's all about your track record and you have fund experience. So people look at that and say, oh, well, I can just I can just put my money with Mike. And Mike understands he vets the stuff that he's going to invest in with, with, the, with capital. Well, that's, that's what we do. Uh, you, you would present a project to us, a multifamily syndication project. And we would, we would invest. And the benefit to our fund investors working with us directly is two benefits, sort of. One is we do the heavy lifting work, analyzing deals, separating the good, the bad, and the ugly. The yeah. second thing is we often have deals that they can't even find themselves. So some of the syndication deals we invest in is only because we are, you know, we're working with other funds and there's a very small ecosystem. If you're not part of that ecosystem, you can't get the access to deals. So high-quality deals are typically not heavily promoted. And when they hit the market, let's just say, to raise capital, they close 24 to 48 hours, literally like that. Yeah, so it's really about even then. So this is it's funny, but it's all about the relationship, right, Mike? I mean, so me and you have a relationship. We'll probably do some business together. Um, we've been talking about it, and uh, that's going to happen. I already know that it will. And um, But it's about the relationship, right? I that's mean, right. people forget about Man, if you didn't, if we don't get out there and start communicating with people and letting them know what we do and what our unique opportunity is, I mean, the world will never know. And that's the, when you're raising capital, you always just got to be able to share your story. You're not trying to sell your uh, story. You just tell the story. That's right. You have to be a storyteller. That's, that, that's what I've, I've been told. In sales, you have to tell the story. Uh, I've never been a good salesperson. I've always been a mathematician by education. <laughs> My gosh, that's, of course, of course, you know, math. Yeah, I, I have the classic story. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm from Russia with love. Uh, that, that, that's, that's, the, that's the story. I come from Russia with love, but I actually come from the former Soviet Union. I left, it was still Soviet Union. Yes. But I have all the classic skills of, of a Russian. I'm a really good chess player. <laughs> yes, I wanted to get into the chess, yes. So, and, and I, I'm good at math and finance, but... Um, now, tell people how good a chess player you were, because you, you, you did pretty well, I think, right? Yeah, I, I competed, I competed, I competed uh, back in the former Soviet Union for many years, and I came here to the States, and I played while I was in college, and my best accomplishment, I, I tied for the first of the U.S. Junior Open, I think it was 91. I was 
in college, I can't remember, second year or something. That's, and I was a senior master. So my, my, my rating was at the peak around 2440 or something like that, 2440. So, so I, I don't remember now. It's been so many years I haven't played actively. But <laughs> Okay, so now next time we sit together, we're going to play a game of chess and I'm going to watch you kill me real quick. And then I'm, uh, I'm, no, I'm, I'm a nice guy. I, I don't get up. And I'll probably let you win. So. <laughs> you're going to watch me open. You're like, oh, I got him in three moves. <laughs> I'll be happy to share my wisdom. My <laughs> cool. So uh, what else is that you, some takeaways about capital that you want to share? So uh, obviously track record helps. I don't know how else to put it. Even for us, we have a new fund and we have potential investors. They ask the question, how long has the fund been around? And, and there are actually good questions people can ask. I actually have a book out um, that helps people learn how to invest in funds and syndications. So where's my book? I'm looking for the book. It's available on Amazon. And um, my favorite book disappeared. I'll, I'll find it in a minute. Okay. What's it called? Because we'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah, how to choose smart real estate investment fund. That's the name of the book, and it's by my name, Mike Zlotnick. It, 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 it talks about funds, but the process is very applicable to uh, syndications of, of. I'm just. I had a book right here. I don't know what happened with the book. Somebody took my book. Hey, uh, anyway, it happens to me all the time. <laughs> yeah, I have a humongous box waiting for me to, 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 to pick up. Uh, I've run out of books. This is my, I think, last book. It's almost strange that I've run out of my own books. Uh, but, but the book asks the right questions. So the questions you have to be prepared to answer as a um, fund, as, as a deal syndicator, you have to be able to, a, to answer questions about the cash flow. How much cash flow would the deal produce first year, second year, third, so on. Uh, you have to answer what is the internal rate of return. How much money you're going to generate annualized for the next three to five years? So these are very, very important questions. Investors have an idea what is their likely uh, rate of return. The other basic question is, again, track record. How many deals like this have you done? If it's your first deal and you're trying to raise money for the first deal, my two cents is get a partner. Get a partner who has done it before. Yes. So folks who come to you, Corey, and partner with you. And on the first deal, they're giving you equity. They found, let's say they, find, they found the deal, and it's their first deal. They should come to you and say, Corey, would you help me be a co-sponsor? Because you have a track record, I don't. So by getting a strong co-sponsor, let's say you found the jewel, but you can't finance the jewel because you don't have the track record. Get a partner with a track record, and yes, you're giving up a share of your kind of income or wealth or, or, or of the deal, but the partner's reputation is very well worth it. The other basic questions. We're hitting all my points, brother. And we've not even really discussed what we were going to talk about because that's it, man. Like sometimes a deal person, like, so I talk about this all the time. Hey, when you have a deal, like when you're first starting out, Mike, and you know, you've got this, you, oh, I got a deal under contract, but most people cannot bring that deal home. And, but here's the problem with most people. And you tell me if this is true. I feel like, there's a lot of people out there that they're not willing to give up a good portion of, of the piece, right? In other words, they get too greedy. And I always say, man, don't be greedy, especially if it's your first deal. What you want is the experience and you want to go through the whole closing process and be on the other side because then 
now that gives you the basically you can say i own an apartment right i've said i'm i'm a syndicator even if you own a smaller percentage they should be honored to have you as their partner yeah what they get is they get a couple of things they get your name they get your track record your history on top of that they get a lesson if they went to university and got a degree cost them a couple hundred thousand dollars seriously this is very valuable it is extremely helpful to them if they are good marketers they may not be able to raise capital so they bring you on board you bring me on board the deal gets financed that that's ultimately that's the right approach if if share the wealth until you gain enough experience and then you could lead yourself it's like the good expression is would you like to be head of a snake or tail of a dragon depends what kind of a snake and what kind of a dragon right <laughs> You yeah. only you can have a hundred percent of your own dr- dragon of your own castle, but there is nothing in the castle, and that doesn't help. Right. You could have a tail of a dragon, and the dra- a tail sorry, could be head of a snake with with nothing, or a tail of a dragon. If the dragon brings you a lot of value, what did they say? Head of a snake or tail of a dragon? Maybe I mixed them up. But the concept is sometimes huh. a tail of a dragon is worth far more than a head of a snake. Yeah, I totally get it. Yeah, and, and really. If there's that, you know, people that listen to my podcast right now realize that, um, you know, you all every deal you come in with certain uh, strengths and just realize what your strengths are, and then if you don't have the experience, just you know, that may be a weakness now. It doesn't always have to be a weakness, right? And you shore That's that right. up a lot of times through a partner, and That's the right. partner has financials. Well, boom, now you're in a deal. Yeah, not only that, there is a very interesting requirement with multifamily deals. And you know this just as well as I do. You need bank financing. So the bank financing is critical success. If you're raising equity, you need to come to equity investors with a lined up loan with a bank. Say you got a property under contract, you got to be able to go to the bank and you got to get approval. And bank will underwrite you. And if they see you have no experience, well, well, they don't want to have a problem on their hands. So bring in a co-sponsor who helps them line up bank money. Maybe 70%, 75% of the total purchase price can come as a low-rate, good-term bank loan. That is hugely valuable. So getting that lined up, co-sponsor is, is extremely important. So part of raising capital is not just partnering with average Joe, but average just think a little bit about all elements of a deal. One is the marketing. And say that they, they learn the ropes of the marketing, but they don't know how to line up bank financing. Can they get the deal done? No, they can. best they can do is wholesale the deal. Think of a little bit about it. Maybe they can wholesale the deal. And wholesaling a multifamily deal is hard. It's not easy. It takes a lot of experience. Uh, but if they want to hold the deal, they need a partner who could, who could come with the credit, with balance sheet, and track record. So often, operations too, right? So, I mean, we're still talking about operations too. Like, They've got to have that piece lined up as well. I mean, either they're going to self-manage, which most people should never do, um, or, you know, find the right management company, but that's still part of the whole team package, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah, of course. I'm not even talking about operation. I'm just talking about the finance side. This is what yeah, I do, but operations is human. Just the finance side is a whole thing on its own, right? Right. I mean, there's two elements to financing a deal. There's the bank loan, and then there is the equity raise, right? Yep. And most of the times, the, the bank will provide 70 to 75%. That's a common um, 
And it's interesting, we're talking in the age of rising interest rates. Uh, the basic dynamics of a deal might change slightly, where I think what's going to happen, by the way, people are freaking out, the rates are going up. Well, that's okay. Uh, what's going to happen is rates are going to be a little bit higher, so it'll require a little bit more equity in the deal, and the banks will lend a little less money to make sure there's enough uh, income from the property to service the debt. So debt, debt service coverage ratio requirements are not going to go away. Right. So it's not a big problem. It's just the deals are going to get a little bit more conservative on the acquisition side, but the opportunity is still there. If you found a great value at deal in a good area, property, a little rundown, but it's got a good occupancy rate and you can do a lot of improvements, operational. I mean, that's still an opportunity, but you need somebody like you, Corey, who could help them operationally, could help them line up basic bank financing and somebody who will come in and provide equity contributions, obviously, to, to close the, the deal. Exactly. That's the whole ball of wax. And that's uh, right there. You just heard it from Big Mike. Everybody calls Mike Big Mike. Okay. And that's some golden wisdom. So, like, if you're out there and, you know, you're trying to put a deal together and you don't have all the pieces, that's okay. Just realize that you've you got to be strategic about it. Just like you're playing chess. You've got to be strategic on, you know, how and who you bring into your deal. You got to know them. Uh, I'm just going to kind of kind of recap a little bit all the things, all the bombs you just dropped. Cause you just dropped a whole crap load of them. Of you know, start with your family, friends, and family. Network like crazy. Get to know people. Share everything that you're that you're doing. If you don't have everything, be willing to partner up with the right partners, and then have them be the value piece that you need to put together the whole syndicate so you can actually get a deal done. Does that sound pretty much like what you just said? Yeah, I, I, I think you captured it extremely well. It, 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 it is, see, the difference is people freak out, they think multifamily is hard. And we finance a lot of single family fix and flip projects and those are not easy either. Multifamily has the economy of scale, especially bigger projects. And uh, there's nothing fundamentally wrong with starting with smaller projects. But the marketing is similar. A lot of other heavy lifting work is similar. So you might as well go for the deal of a certain size or, or, or bigger. And the financing is available if you line up the whole team, not just one element. Right. So, hey, Mike, let's, let's, I just want to segue real quick, too. What's your uh, take on the markets coming going forward? Like, I mean, we, talk, we just talked about rising interest rates. I believe interest rates are going to continue to rise as well. Um, what's your take on the markets on that perspective? Primarily, I'm talking about real estate markets, but what, what's your thought process on that? Sure. So let me start by saying my crystal ball broke a long time ago. So I do not know the future, but you could prepare for the future for various conditions. Uh, there might be a correction coming, just like we, we've seen significant volatility increase in stock market. There yeah. might be some level of correction happening in multifamily, commercial, office space, and whatnot. But it doesn't mean the market is going to crash. Uh, what's going to happen is um, if the interest rates go up, they're going to create downwards pressure on, our, on many asset classes. Yes. So the bonds are going to be in a bloodbath scenario. Stocks are likely going to be in a, you know, some level of a bear or a correction territory. Yep. Volatility will increase, obviously, too. We're already seeing this. 
uh, if the rates continue to increase, real estate in general, commercial, especially real estate, tra- trades at, at a multiple, at the cap rate. Yep. And as the rates go up, the cost of financing goes up, and then the prices generally come down somewhat. Now, we don't know what's going to happen. So it, it, it's really a function of if there's inflation, if, if uh, certain areas are able to pass through rent increases, that's okay to have higher interest rate on a mortgage on a property as long as the area supports and there's economic growth in the area. Right. But if there's a recession with interest rates, vacancies up, then the prices will come down uh, because of higher cost of financing, just general economic conditions. Uh, I'm not seeing likely recession on the horizon at all. Right. I'm just seeing that the projects, there's still a lot of money chasing deals, We're going yeah. to continue to chase deals, and quality deals will get financed. They'll just get a little bit more equity, a little bit less debt, and they will cash flow well, and they can pretty much sustain themselves even through a downturn. Service, yep. And that, that's really, so that's uh, the reason I asked that is I just wanted to bring up our point on for what I'm putting out there in, in the multifamily space is that, um, you know, as interest rates rise, I feel like cap rates could rise, and they'll probably rise a little faster um, than interest rates will. And so that's going to create some buying opportunities in some you know, uh, small market, you know, you're going to be able to find probably some more deals out there in a way. People are going to be selling. They're going to be some just different opportunities. But we still buy based on cash flow. And we feel like we buy a product, or at least what I teach is to buy that C-class and B-class property that where you can do some value add. And um, when if the market really does get constricted in such a way, I always feel like with the apartments, the kind of stuff that we buy, it's, I call it workforce housing. So if they can't afford the Taj Mahal, that nice place, most people move out of that apartment and they come move into mine. That's right. That's right. That's exactly the case. No, it, it's a very prudent strategy. You're buying, if you're buying not the, bad, not the cheapest, worst part, but you're buying affordable. If you're yes. buying affordable, people can live there when, the mar- when, when, when there is a downturn. Yeah. They go affordable. Yeah. Sort of what they say Walmart does well when there's a recession. No, I totally get Yeah, I, I totally believe it. And it, it's, it's held true. And, you know, I look back at some, you know, when the crash did happen, 2000 and uh, what, seven, uh, eight, right? Yeah. The whole period of time, I had some properties uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. There were single family rental properties. And I still own them today. And the reason was, is I didn't buy them for their value per se. I built, I bought them for the cash flow, and because they were able to cash flow, we waited out this period of time, and, and now the value is back, right? And that's right. That's right. If the cash flow is there, uh, you you really couldn't care less about the value. I mean, you do care, but it's it's you're prepared to 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 deal with uh, as long as you have a tenant. If unemployment is bad, then you don't have a tenant, and then that's a different story. Yes. But if 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 the jobs are there, vacancy is low. You're good. Yeah, so. I'm asked. So we're getting on that thirty minute mark. So we'll we'll cut it here off. Uh, uh, let's. You, you, did you find your copy of your book? It's called How to Choose a Smart Real Estate Investment Fund. There it is. How to Choose a Smart Real Estate Investment Fund. That is the book by Mike Zlotnick, and um, that looks like a pretty good uh, uh, course. And like, there's a lot of you know, if you don't know how to do it. This is where you're going to get the information right there, right? Yeah, it's the top 10 questions investors should ask before investing in a fund. It's the questions about the cash flow, the 
return on investment, manager's experience, if the deal has risks, what are the risks? What is the, the upside? Sort of what's the value add? A type of assets that the fund invests in. And if you do a single deal investment, the questions are relevant. The fund is a little bit more diversified, but you can ask the same questions on a single deal. So the book has top 10 questions. And um, the book, is the way it was put together is that um, I wrote the content and then Corey, I work, you know, Corey Boat, right? Yep. Uh, and, and Corey uh, asked me the questions and I answered the questions and the book was transcribed. So the book is a transcription of a recorded discussion, essentially. Right. Perfect. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, so that's like more like real life anyways, real life. And, and this is a secret how to write a book. It's 10 times easier. Corey <laughs> Boatwright taught me how to write a book. I started writing the book and I got exhausted writing it. He says, don't. Just to write the skeleton and let's talk about it. And you could talk much faster than you can write. Oh, wait a second. Let's just make sure we get that little piece out there. So for everybody that wants to write a book, right? And I've actually done this uh, as well, is don't write the thing word for word for word because that can be, you'll never get a book written that way. But you can outline your chapters and exactly. then record you talking about what's in those chapters and what each chapter means. And that you can get um, basically a VA or somebody to transcribe it. And now you've got the actual words to the book. Exactly how I did it. And I love the process. I'm going to do another book uh, soon enough because uh, it's easy. I especially if you like talking, you could, you could, you could talk uh, and you know the subject really well. Right. It's 10 times easier than kind of grinding and writing it, doing exactly. the, the, the heavy lifting. Cool. Mike, man, dude, this has been a really good podcast. I really appreciate you coming on. For all my listeners that are listening um, right now, how do, how do they get a hold of you or check you out? Where, where do they go? So our company website is tempofunding.com from the word temporary, T-E-M-P-O, tempofunding.com. You can also find me by going to bigmikefund.com. That's a podcast that I have. And uh, it will redirect you to the website, to our website. And it's on iTunes. And the book is available on Amazon. So go on Amazon, search for Mike Zlatnik or, or, or search by title, How to Choose a Smart Real Estate Investment Fund. That's the title of the book. The other way to get a hold of me, you could email me. Just don't abuse it. If you have real questions and, and real, just send the, the email to info, I-N-F-O, info at tempofunding.com. I'll get a copy of the email and I'll respond to you. You can mention your Corey's student and you're looking for money or you're looking for feedback, <laughs> whatever it is. Dude, that's awesome, man. I wasn't even expecting that. So that's really cool. Man, uh, Mike, dude, again, appreciate the time you spent with me. Uh, you're you're very welcome. Really good nuggets out there, buddy. Um, lots of good information. And again, uh, I just think of the world of you. So if you haven't done it, make sure by the end of this podcast, go check out Big Mike. And um, brother, we'll, we'll talk later. 